It's the podcast series that helps you stay up to date with the latest tax developments. The Tax Factor from Blick Rothenberg with Nimesh Shah and Rahana Earl. Welcome to The Tax Factor, our weekly podcast from Blick Rothenberg. Each week, our team of experts looks at the news and updates in the world of tax and provides analysis of what it might mean for you or your business. I'm Nimesh Shah, and joining me this week and making their Tax Factor debut is Globe Mobility enthusiast Rihanna Earl. Rihanna, welcome to The Tax Factor, and I expect you're going to enlighten us with some worldly tax tales. Hi, Nimesh. It's good to be here today. Brilliant. But first off, before we go global, Liz Truss is the tax gift that keeps giving, and she maintains that tax reform or tax cuts, I should say, is key to economic growth in the UK. This is despite having her fingers burned and costing her the PM job last year at the mini budget. She doesn't want to throw in the towel on tax cuts. And she said this week that she's going to publish her own growth budget on the 14th of November, a week before Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement to possibly try and steal some limelight. Rihanna, what has Liz Truss been saying again in the last week? And can you speculate as to what the hell is going to be in this growth budget? So Truss's growth commission uh, says that it's going to unveil, in quotes, detailed challenge to the conventional thinking, including reforms to things like corporate taxes, income taxes and national insurance. This is all with the aim of trying to improve the UK's low growth rates. What is exactly going to be proposed, we don't know, but obviously based on prior form, it's going to involve tax cuts. And uh, we know that Truss has already called on Jeremy Hunt to cut corporation tax back to 19% and to reduce government spending. One other area that has come out is cutting back on the tourism tax. So that means rolling back the VAT on shopping so that tourists can have VAT shopping going forward. Truss and her team say they will be using a detailed modelling analysis, currently not used by the Treasury at the moment, to drive their proposals. But I think we're just going to have to wait and see really to see what they announce in a few weeks time. And I think it's going to be a very interesting topic for a future tax factor session. Yeah, I can't believe Liz Truss, who now is in the backbenchers, is actually thinking about a growth budget and we're giving it the attention that it deserves really. She's not in post. She she should have very limited influence over tax policy in the UK. Yet we are talking about it. So, and I think there will be some attention on what this growth budget will be, and maybe put some pressure on the government and a future government on how, what they may do with tax cuts. But it does sound like fantasy economics uh, for the moment from Liz Truss and her team. And I suppose I was fortunate enough last year for Accounting Web. They did ask me to do my fantasy budget, which you can find online. A bit of a plug there for me if I was ever Chancellor. But that is pure fantasy. I'll let you know. Uh, and thankfully, I'm not in the Chancellor's job. Despite Liz Truss's assertions, the Institute of Fiscal Studies don't agree with any of that. And they released their latest analysis this week and said there's no room for tax cuts in the autumn statement, which Jeremy Hunt has reinforced. But the IFS referred to some quite stark news for taxpayers, with again, this big freeze, the freezing of the personal tax allowances and threshold continuing to cause heavy weight on people's shoulders, despite increased wage growth figures that we've seen this week. So what's the gloomy picture the IFS have been painting this week, Rihanna? So I think, Namesh, the most concerning thing is that the IFS have estimated that the number of taxpayers who are going to be paying either 40% or 45% tax is forecast to more than double to 8.9 million in 27-28, and that is up from 4.4 million in 2020-2021. This means that 18% of the workforce will be paying tax at 40% or more in the near future. So that's a significant number of taxpayers in the UK in that bracket. Now, this has been 
exacerbated, obviously, because of the personal tax allowances and the thresholds being frozen, as you just mentioned, in addition to high inflation rates. It's been estimated that an additional 30 to 32 billion in tax will be raised this tax year as a result of this, with an estimated amount of 52 billion in 27-28. And that is 40% more than the current Office for Budget Responsibility forecast. And that is effectively equivalent to a 6% increase in the basic income tax rate to 26%. So as you can see, there's the huge amount of kind of additional income being driven from tax revenue, which is going to fall into treasury coffers. So lots of numbers flying around there, Rihanna, and you did well to cover all of those. And some really dark numbers as well. And I, I like the one that you said at the end, the, the effect of the freezing of the personal allowances. I know Heather describes this as being quite a nasty way of increasing tax revenue, but a very effective way of doing it. That is quite a bold number, 6% increase on the basic rate of income tax. So that's effectively someone paying 26% on when they earn over £12,500 to about £50,000. That is a huge number that people are facing over the next few years. And I remember in 12 months ago that Rishi Sunak was saying that in the leadership contest for the Conservative government, if we can remember this far back, because a lot's happened since, that he was saying that he was going to cut basic rate income tax to 16%. We were also going to see Liz Truss in that mini budget reduce basic rate income tax 19% from next April. But none of that's going to happen. And actually what we're facing now is a massive swing the other way with the freezing of the personal allowances. So with all the headlines of the highest tax burden in the UK in 70 years, there's no room for tax cuts that Jeremy Hunt say, that the IFS say. Some people may have decided or planning to pack their bags off the sunnier and more tax advantaged shores. Turning to your area, Rihanna, and international movement of people. So with the UK's tax burden being so high, that gloomy outlook from the IFS, certain jurisdictions have come up with their own version of the UK's non-DOM regime, but they seem to be backtracking now. And you spotted some interesting developments, in particular with Portugal and its non-habitual regime, which has been really flavour of the month for a number of years now. So why was Portugal so popular and why are they moving the goalposts now? Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of change here actually, Nimesh, over the course of the next few years. For those who don't know, and I'll give a bit of background onto the Portuguese NHR uh, regime. So it came into effect in 2009 and it gives a preferential rate of 20% to certain individuals. And that is versus a top rate of 48% for kind of a normal taxpayer in Portugal. And you can qualify for up to 10 years. Um, the regime is now going to be closed for new entrants from 2020. And there's a new proposed framework that is going to be put in place, which is going to be much more limited, we think, than the than the NHR. The new regime is expected to offer a more limited range of tax benefits to qualifying individuals. It's really, I think, what we think the proposals will say is that it's going to be limited to roles such as scientific roles, research and development and innovation. And it's also expected that there's going to be a cap on the level of income that any preferential rates or release will apply to. And I think, in reality, Portugal is just one of the countries that is taking a, a different stance on their regime. And I think it's just a it's a measure of the global tax landscape at the moment and the fact that governments are wanting to raise more revenue. And they also don't want that disparity between expats in, in quoted brackets and their local kind of residents who are also paying much higher rates of taxation. And, you know, Portugal, as I said, isn't the only one. So Italy has just announced uh, reforms to its expat regime. They're planning to shorten the available period to a maximum of five years and also introduce an income cap, whereas currently their system exempts 70% of income from employment 
employment of employment income being subject to income tax, which so, you know, we're seeing some quite significant changes here. And the Netherlands, they've already announced changes to their expat regime with their preferential 30% ruling. And that is coming into in, in effect in 2024, where they've also introduced a cap on the level of earnings that will be applicable. There are many other European countries that have expat regimes, as you mentioned, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes over the course of the next couple of years. Yeah, I think that's right. That over the last few years, we've seen European jurisdictions in particular try and copy the UK's non-DOM regime. They introduced very attractive regimes like Portugal and Italy, you're saying, but now certainly the tide has turned in quite a relatively short space of time. And all of this is under the backdrop of the UK's great non-DOM debate. And it'll be interesting to see what form that will take should we get a Labour government and the assertions that Rachel Rees and Keir Starmer have been making every week that the non-DOM regime will be abolished. I remain unconvinced that the UK's non-DOM regime will disappear overnight. And I think we will have something in its place, but we're all going to be watching this with some great debate and interest, especially in the context of what's happening on with Europe. Changing focus, one of our, or not so favourites, is HMRC's continued campaign to target households on the high income child benefit charge. And this week, HMRC have announced that they're going to commence one of their one too many letter campaigns in relation to the child benefit charge. So what's happening here is that HMRC will be writing to tax agents where they believe that clients affected by the child benefit charge and haven't paid the correct amount. They're going to be writing to them and encourage agents to look at clients' tax affairs. And I do find it staggering the amount of resource activity HMRC put towards high income child benefit charge. I can't believe that's an effective use of resource when resource is allegedly so tight, unless I'm missing something completely. But there could be some logic in HMRC's latest campaign as they react to another child benefit tribunal case which concerned a taxpayer breaching the 50,000 threshold limit because of benefits in kind that they received. So a tax factor staple on child benefit. But what briefly, what did happen in the case of Mr Chatterway? Uh, so exactly as you say, Nimesh, uh, Mr Chatterway breached the 50,000 threshold because he was unaware that benefits in kind would be included in that 50,000 amount. And like allowances and other thresholds, that 50,000 amount hasn't changed since it was introduced in 2012. So a significant kind of low level of, of income compared to potentially where we should be now. Mr Chatterway uh, received a few letters from HMRC, which is saying that he didn't receive. One letter in 2013 outlining that he breached the kind of income thresholds and therefore needed to pay the charge. He said that he didn't receive the letters and frankly, who's going to remember from 2013 what they received and what exactly it said. Apparently, he then received another letter in 2019, again, stating that he breached the the thresholds and he therefore needed to pay the charge. But again, he said in his defence that he hadn't received any letters. Unfortunately for the revenue, they had no proof of sending the letters either. And therefore, what he had was reasonable excuse to appeal against the penalties that HMLC had charged. And I think it's just another sign of one again, kind of as you implied, what are the revenue doing here? And two, can they make their communications much clearer? And three, can we have some simplification in the policy so that people actually understand what their position is? I completely agree with you. Uh, High income child benefit charge, one of my pet hates, one of my pet projects. And I think what we were talking about before with frozen allowances, more and more people, more families are getting dragged into the high income child benefit charge because the threshold of 50,000 has not changed for over 10 years now. And sadly, I think we're going to see more child benefit cases until this ridiculous and painful system is reformed. 
And finally, uh, to end on another ridiculous anomaly in our tax legislation, and as winter sets in and people have their flu jabs, you wouldn't think there would be a tax issue with the innocent flu jab. But Rihanna, enlighten us before we have our winter vaccinations this time round. What do we need to watch out for here? Yeah, so very topical for this time of year. I'm thinking about getting my own done uh, very soon, along with an estimated 20 million others in the UK. So under current rules, flu jabs don't result in a tax charge if uh, your employer does it for you directly or if they provide you with a voucher to go and get your flu jab. If, however, employees go and get it themselves and then they expense the 10 or £12 or whatever it costs to their employer, then that can end up in a tax charge on the employee. So uh, it does seem like a, a crazy anomaly to have this in place, but I think it's just to be aware that that's the case. Although I suspect that many employers and employees aren't aware of this just because of the crazy kind of nature of this rule. So just be aware of that, I think, if you're going to go and get your flu jab in the near future. And I know that the institutes have written to the Treasury to correct this anomaly. So we'll wait and see if someone sensible will acknowledge that. And my thanks to Rihanna for joining me on this week's Tax Factor and literally giving us uh, health warnings. We also want to hear from you. If you visit the Tax Factor page on our website, you'll find a form to contact us. Let us know the stories and topics you'd like us to to cover. We record the podcast on a Wednesday, so you can message us right up to the point we record. We can't give individual advice or responses to messages, but do let us know what is on your tax agenda. You can hear all the episodes of The Tax Factor on the Blick Rothenberg website, and we release a new episode every Friday on all popular podcast platforms. That's all for this week. Returning next week will be Tax Factor veteran Heather Self with more of the tales of the tax stories of the week. I'm Namesh Shah, CEO at Blick Rothenberg. Goodbye and enjoy the weekend. That's all for this episode of The Tax Factor. Find all our previous episodes wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not try Brave Business, our podcast series for entrepreneurs. Find it wherever you get The Tax Factor or on the Blick Rothenberg website. The Tax Factor. The Tax Factor.